welcome to a special 2018 North American Summit edition of What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. In this episode recorded at our podcast parlor in Boston, you'll hear Susan Wassman and Tony Josipovic discuss a recent report on occupancy planning welcome benchmarks. To uh, today's topic is occupancy planning benchmarks. And this is something that is very near and dear to CRE professionals. And really, it's something that most organizations struggle with. So I think this is something that um, all of you that are listening are gonna find very, very interesting. Uh, It's a report that we published through JLL. And so before we dive in, let's uh, start with some introductions. And to my side here, my partner in crime, I'll (laughs) let you go first. Thanks, Tony. Uh, My name is Susan Wassman. I'm with JLL and I'm based out of our Chicago office and I lead the occupancy planning practice for the Americas. Great, and I am Tony Josipovic. I'm also with JLL. I'm based in the Charlotte, North Carolina office, and I lead occupancy planning for the East region. So let's dive right in, Susan. So this thing is something that is very anticipated. It's coming out um, in a few days. Uh, Tell me a little bit about it. How do we collect this information? What's the background? What, What are we doing? Yeah, so Tony, um, several years ago, um, you know, current clients or prospects would come to us and ask me, you know, what are the average vacancy rates across industry? What is, you know, what do I see trending? And the sad part is that I had all these clients, we have over 100 occupancy planning clients today with millions of pieces of data around how they use their space, um, what's trending, what's being utilized, what's vacant. And I had no way of aggregating all that data in an apples to apples comparison and really answered the questions that, you know, um, you know, people really wanted to know. So what we did is we set up an annual um, planning benchmarking report where we would reach out to all our occupancy planning leads on all of our accounts to really um, collect the data in a very consistent method and really trend it by industry, by region and understand, you know, where we're going in the future. Awesome. So I guess the fact that others are struggling with this and you are getting a lot of questions about it explains why it's in such high demand. Absolutely. So, so when we look at it, though, Susan, you know, I obviously, given my role, I understand sort of metrics that are important to our clients. But I'm curious to see what is the data telling us, because that is something I understand was tracked. Right. Um, so there are like we call them metrics that matter, right? Metrics that are really gonna allow you to make maybe some strategic decisions around them. So there's some um, metrics that are constantly consistent um, when we ask clients or prospects on what they're looking to track. And that's occupancy, vacancy, that's actually what's assigned and what's not assigned within a portfolio. Um, But, and also density, which is design density on how um, space is being actually laid out and used. Um, but what one metric that has really come up and is becoming more and more important is utilization level. So most of our clients out there are really looking at not just how much space is assigned and how much space is vacant, but really how is the space being used and what's that telling them about around their portfolio? Right. Now, very interesting. So again, I happen to know one of the other metrics we tracked in previous years was around mobility ratios. Are you seeing anything there tied to utilization? Because they sort of go hand in hand. Yes. So again, uh, utilization is tracked to understand, is there an opportunity to um, create a more mobile environment? And 
Yes, mobility, um, we have about 11% of our clients really wanting to know more about mobility ratios and what are industry standards. Okay, so, so let's dive in then, right? So the one metric I think you mentioned that matters is sort of this occupancy and vacancy thing. And I happen to know, frankly, for the clients that I support, this is critical because it drives cost savings and cost avoidance. So what are you seeing? What, what, what does the, the latest report tell us? So um, we, again, this is a global report, so we have all regions represented, but about 58% um, have a vacancy rate between 10 and 29%, and that's been pretty consistent. Um, our teams are constantly churning space, consolidating space, um, but our, most of our clients fall within that percentage. Okay, so you mentioned at the start, this is a global report. Is there anything that you're seeing through the data that shows some variation or anything that jumps out at you when you look at the data? Yeah, so when we slice and dice the data by region, it's very interesting. Uh, North America really still has the highest vacancy rates. Um, APAC, EMEA, and Latin America are much more aggressive. Their vacancy rates are much lower. Right, well that's interesting. So, you know, as you say that, I'm trying to think through, you know, the driver, and, and likely the driver is, you know, the cost of real estate, when you look at APAC, take for example, Hong Kong, Tokyo, or we look at London in EMEA, right? The, the cost of real estate there is significantly higher than let's say the average rate we see in the US, which is roughly $30 a square foot. Um, so I have to assume that's probably the driver behind that. And it's interesting to see that really the, the one that sticks out is North America. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So vacancy is critical, and it's something we've been tracking forever in our industry. And I know the other one that matters to my clients is density. So you touched upon it a few seconds ago. What, tell us what density is, and maybe what, what are you seeing in terms of the data that's coming out of the most recent report? Right, so um, what we call, define as design density, is really how many square feet um, divided by the number of seats or workspaces in that um, portfolio. So um, right now, about 72% of our participants on, in the study have a density range under 225 uh, square feet per seat, which is really continues to drive less and less. A couple years ago, we were seeing density rates over 300 square feet per seat. Um, but again, it's driving towards that lower number. Right, no, interesting. So, so you know, when you look at the workplaces, and I mean, I have a perspective, obviously, because I'm dealing with whether it's financial services, life sciences, or technology clients. I kind of, what, what I think is happening is we're starting to see a transformation in the workplace, right, from traditional hard wall offices, and frankly, a lot of clients are still sort of in this open plan environment, but what we're seeing is activity-based, right? I mean, is that sort of, you know, and just from your experience yeah. and working with clients, I mean, are you seeing this as well on your, from your perspective? Absolutely. And, um, well, what I was hoping is when we ran the study that I would see some kind of trending by industry um, on density rates. And we're not seeing that. There's really less differentiation by industry. It's really all over the board. Yeah, that's interesting. Very interesting. Um, so when you look at density, you know, I think I, think I couple density with, mobility and with, again, this activity-based approach that we're starting to see and, and is becoming more prevalent. I mean, has there been any insights from the latest body of research that kind of helps us kind of understand what's happening? Yeah, so from Deloitte, 88% of millennials right now want the autonomy to work from anywhere or where they work best. So again, we're seeing this trending in the workplace. So where, where you see the density, design density um, numbers dropping, 
they're also not dropping as significantly as you know taking a whole space and creating all benching. Right. What's happening is we're taking the, the actual square footage that we're saving maybe from the individual work that we know individual work is also decreasing and it's becoming more and more collaborative. And what we're seeing is that square footage be more aligned with the open um, collaboration spaces. Okay. So um, maybe your workstation might get, be getting smaller, but man, are you getting all sorts of different um, areas to be able to work from instead of working from your desk. Okay, no, interesting, interesting. So that, that leads me really to the next area I wanted to cover off as I've looked through the report. Um, is around mobility, right? And there's a lot of confusion, I think. Again, when I look at it from my perspective, I have clients that sometimes when we discuss mobility, they interpret it as a work from home program. Mm -hmm. Others say, absolutely not, it's campus mobility. So when you look at mobility from the lens of the research, anything you're seeing in terms of both of those areas, just mobility as a whole, you know, what's happening? Is there, is there any trending that we're seeing? And, yeah. and, and what about work from home? Yeah, so um, two very different programs. A mobility or agile workplace program is really just giving your employees the ability to work in the office a couple days a week, work from a conference center, uh, work from a hotel or their home. Um, a work from home program that's 100% based home is really, um, I believe, not, not the most successful model. So what's really great about this report, since this, this is the third year we're doing this report, we're now finally starting to see some trending. So um, mobility is on the rise. So um, last year when we polled our participants, 41% of organizations said they had a mobility program in place. This year it was 52%, over a 10% wow. increase in one year. Um, but on the flip side, what's really interesting is that when we ask the same questions around a work from home program, um, that's on the decline. 45% participants last year um, had a work from fully work from home program to 36% this year. So again, these, um, the, the better program is rising to the top and really um, yeah, being, uh, being more applied to all the, of our clients. Fascinating. Well, it's, from my perspective, the other thing I see, which is probably embedded in this, is we're seeing co-working space on the rise, and, and it'll be fascinating to watch what the data tells us over time there. But I have several clients, again, regardless of industry, whether they're financial services, frankly, even in government, we're seeing co-working on the rise, um, especially in tertiary markets. So uh, I'd love to see what the report tells us in the, in the future editions. But that leads me to something that's near and dear to my heart because I deal with a lot of these problems every day. Now that we embed mobility and we have these activity-based work settings, how do you attract the space or how do you become a good steward of the portfolio? Because in the old model, people were kind of stagnant. They, they, you know, we had names and seats tracking. Now people aren't staying still anymore. They're playing musical chairs on us, Susan. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so did the report cover that? And if so, what are you seeing? Absolutely, this is my everyday world. Um, you know, we call it butts and seats. Uh, we are trending away from tracking butts and seats. Um, and really, uh, our technology and our occupancy planning practice really needs to understand better on how to track mobility in neighborhoods or zones. So 50% of our participants this year um, uh, reported that they use their IWMS systems um, or neighborhoods to track. So instead of, you know, me t being tied to one workstation, we have neighborhoods that are consist, consist sometimes of different types of work settings, and we apply headcount to that neighborhood, and then a mobility ratio 
is applied to that. So then we can see, do we have capacity in that neighborhood or not? Okay. No, interesting. And I know that came up in our recent client consortium. We had most of the clients that attended that really, this was near and dear to their heart. They were discussing this and, and they were all wrestling with the same problems. Um, so absolutely. So neighborhoods or zone-based planning seems to be the way to go. That makes me want to pivot to another topic that I know is covered. Um, well, actually, before I do that, you know, let, let me ask you this. Um, I, I happen to know that one of my clients on the East Coast has automated a process, and I know we've discussed this one recently, Susan. So do you want to you just talk about that a little bit? Because yeah, I think that'll just, be insightful for the folks on the, on yep. the podcast. Yeah, so, um, you know, along with helping our clients uh, track mobility and mobility neighborhoods and zones, a couple of our clients, we were actually working with them to actually automate the process, which is incredibly interesting to me. And you're gonna hear me talk more and more about automating lots of things within right. how our program is laid out. Um, so what they have done is created a uh, script, basically, so that when a person comes into the HR database, um, there's a set of criteria and questions that are applied, and then that person gets automatically uploaded into their IWMS neighborhood that is associated with the criteria. And Susan, that is employees as well as contractors? Yes, both. Okay. So they go through a very rigorous process right. when you, know, you hire on board a new employee, but what that does, it cuts out the back end work on having to manually apply people, um, people into neighborhoods. Okay, interesting. So now let me go to the next topic, because this is one, I'll tell you, there isn't a week that goes on that I'm not asked about utilization. And I know you get this and everybody in our practice gets this. So before I dive into the data, Susan, why don't you tell us what is utilization? So utilization is, yeah, um, every day I have clients asking, um, you know, about utilization. So just like we said, we are kind of departing from the more butts and seats tracking to real-time utilization. And there's lots of different methods you can use. Um, it really depends on what a client is looking for. Are they trying to understand how actual every space within the, um, um, their floor plan is being used? Are they looking at more of a portfolio or enterprise utilization tracking? Um, but they're all very interested in it because it's really the way of the future. 57% of our participants tracked utilization last year, but okay. this year it's up 10%, up to 66% are tracking um, some kind of utilization. And um, really that's the way the future is going. Okay. So, so let me just make sure I got it, right? So, and, and to make sure for our listeners, utilization is a usage-based model where just because you sat in a seat, you know, let's say at the start of your day, but let's suppose you happen to leave to go to another client facility, when you leave that space, that seat is no longer being used in that moment in time. Where the historical model was, someone was assigned a seat, and whether they were in the office or not, they were allocated that space and we assumed it was occupied, right? So that, that's right. really what we're getting at. Okay, so that's interesting. So for me, I'm working with government clients as well as healthcare, and obviously your corporate clients, whether they're in financial services. And this is something that's coming up, even in higher ed, when you look at it. You know, what is the utilization of lab space? Or what is utilization of dorm rooms, right? So it's fascinating. But when you look at the data, anything that you're seeing in terms of data, but specifically, so let's just dial it back into office space, right? Because that's, a lot of our viewers are, are, are focused on office environments. What are you seeing with the data? So what's interesting enough, I've been doing, you know, utilization studies for the last 15 years, um, you know, walking around with a clipboard to now we're using sensor tracking, we're using beacons in buildings 
to ping to folks' iPhones. Um, but one constant, so the technology has changed and become more robust and more automated, but what's interesting is the results really haven't. I still see about between most of our um, utilization studies, um, the output and results are 60 to 70% of the time your space is being utilized. Okay. And you know it varies if you're tracking actual seats or tracking with badging data, but that percentage is constant. So um, very interesting to me. And it's, it's kind of like on a bell curve. So you know where you see your most between the 60 and 70%, then the rest kind of go down from there. Awesome, okay. Well, it's interesting because this is going to be a topic at the end here we're going to discuss, right? What I see is there's many different ways, as you mentioned, to track utilization. Um, I mean, if you're fortunate enough to work for an organization that has a smart building, obviously those buildings come with a series of sensors, maybe some beacons or Bluetooth beacons and what have you. Um, and so th those organizations benefit from that. But we're also seeing, you know, what I'm going to call initiative-based or project-based requests where, you know, whether it's sensor data or whether it's your traditional physical observations and walkthroughs, I'm seeing that as well. But, but let me get to the heart of this, right? So I have a perspective here, but I'm curious to see what the data says. And, and, and my question is, why do people do it? For my clients, it's really two that I'm seeing, but I'm interested to see if the data reinforces that. It's usually driving optimization, so perhaps it's a client that feels they're oversupplied in terms of seat capacity, or the other one is it's a precursor to a broader workplace strategy that maybe leads to some mobility program. But what's the data saying? Absolutely. The data, 90% um, of our clients are tracking real-time utilization to do occupancy planning, optimization, consolidation projects. Um, so, and, and then it drops from there to vacancy reporting, you know, mobility, feeding their mobility programs to be able to understand how to build your mobility program and support that. Uh, but really, it is all about that kind of that project-based um, optimization projects. Okay. So, that leads to perhaps the theme of this Cornet Global Summit. And, you know, something I know is happening in our world, which is transforming everything, but really, Susan, I'm going to say, what's next? What is next in our industry? What is next in terms of whether it's utilization or how we do what we do today? Yeah, so as you can see, a lot of these things that we've been talking about is they're around automation, automation and digitization. So everything is going to be automated. Um, we're, we're heading in that direction right now. And um, I think with more and more data, more and more trending, just like you see, this is only three years that I've had this report, and being able to have this trending data is amazing. But what that's going to be able to do is start predicting, right? So I'm going to be able to have this data after month after month, quarter after quarter, year after year, and we're just going to be able to start predicting um, how much space you need and being more um, really prescriptive on how we design our workplace to be able to be more flexible, just like our workforce is flexible. I also think you know we're going to see more workforces being flexible in how they work. And you know I'll be honest, some of our the more manual things we're doing today will be replaced by more automation, and you know we will be pivoting into more of a predictive model where we will we're be working able to... ourselves out of a job is what you're saying Susan right <laughs> well pretty much I'm gonna look into my retirement plan B so yeah, well it's, it's so so what I want to highlight is is predictive analytics I know this there are buzzwords and there's prescriptive analytics so what I've seen and where I've seen most of this application is really in the demand forecasting space right so mm -hmm. some of our clients have looked at historical data or inferential statistics they married that up with say macro and microeconomic data 
to basically go to our clients and our end users to say, well listen, we know you've given us a forecast, but one thing anybody that's been in our business long enough knows is it's always wrong. Always wrong. Right? Yep. And so the predictive analytics gives us data that we can go back and challenge those business units. And that's, that's one of the areas I have seen um, where, where I think we're changing. Okay. The other one that, that I'll tell you, when I, when I discuss this topic with clients, um, and I think the data is all leading us there, is this whole names and seats component and tracking that in a space data management platform, whether you're on Archibus, Tririga, CeraView, et cetera, um, you know, that's, that's painful, frankly, and it's time consuming, right? And so I think what I'm seeing and, and what's most exciting to the clients is how that's going to change. And when you start to go to this utilization-based or usage-based model, the names and seats, frankly, doesn't matter. Right? Agreed. I mean, uh, one of our most progressive clients um, just moved into a smart building, and really my occupancy planner is not doing that work anymore. She now can uh, pull up on the screen uh, where people are sitting, how people are using the space within, uh, throughout the day, and then she uses that data to help her do her you know, more strategic planning initiatives, negotiating neighbor, neighborhood uh, boundaries, and really real time looking at how the space is being used and changing it depending on how the people are using the space. So really, really exciting stuff. Awesome, this is great. So, so in closing, what I'll say is, um, if you found this podcast of interest, you can certainly download the complete report at jll.com. Um, it is posted there, uh, it is a 2018 version. And um, hopefully you enjoy, happy reading, until next time. Thank you. Thanks, Tony. This concludes this episode of What's Next. Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit cornetglobal.org to learn more.